Thanks again, Wes. So glad to have you around. And worship team for leading us in worship. Yeah. We really are blessed by the people God has given to us um, to lead us, to help us to glorify God in song and music. I'm so grateful. Absence makes the heart grow fonder. I'm grateful for them. I'm grateful for you. I hope I don't get too mushy up here this morning. I do have a complaint, though. I mean, you leave for three months, and the podium's di- the pulpit's different when you come back. What's, what is that about, huh? Well, it's my privilege this morning to continue in our series, uh, the Why series. And sometimes when you plan things, like we planned things months ago, and you plan something, it seems good at the time, but you wonder in the moment. So today we're going to talk about why we believe certain things, and the subject is why sex, and I get to do that, so welcome back, and um, buckle up, and we'll see what God has to say to us this morning. I want to begin with a true story. It went like this, sex, sex, sex. The little girl exclaimed, and if you were a bystander, you'd be wondering, why in the world is she talking about sex? Without context, you would immediately start to have questions in your mind, like was her mom and dad arguing about something going on in the bedroom and she picked up on it and they talked about it a lot and so or was there inappropriate material left around in the house and so like this was become something that, you know, she was curious about? Sex, sex, sex. Was it because this had an Sex had an unhealthy focus in the home, and this little girl naturally picked up on it. I mean, she was just a toddler, not even two years old. Context is everything, though, and you've got to understand the context here, this true story. See, the little girl was learning to count. Her favorite number was not one, not two, not three, not four, not five, but you probably can guess. Her favorite number was... Sex, that's right. Sex, sex, sex. So it's good to talk, get, get it out of my mouth. I feel a little, a little less nervous, but that's what we're going to talk about this morning. Not the mathematics of six, but we're going to talk about the subject of sex. And if you think of sex combined with church and Christianity, maybe right away in your mind, you have a natural thinking of negativity. And phrases like, no, don't do that. Stop that. Don't go there. You shouldn't do that. Shame on you. But I want to say to us this morning as we look at what the Bible has to say about sex, if your understanding of sex from a Christian standpoint or what the, if you think this is what the Bible has to say about it is primarily as prohibition, no, 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 you've greatly misunderstood the context. Some people might think it's inappropriate to talk about sex in church, and I would beg to differ, obviously. I think it's most appropriate. See, at church community, we we want to, um, part of our role, our function as leadership is to uh, teach people what does God's word say about every aspect of our lives, and this certainly in our culture today is not something in a corner. It's prevalent. If you're here today and you have children that are in even elementary school, middle school, high school, I mean, they're being educated. Whether you like it or not, they're being educated by their friends, their peers, by the stuff they read, see, and hear. And they need to be educated by the church and by you as parents. What God has to say about this most important subject. So we're going to talk about why sex, God's way this morning. 
And sex, as we look at it in God's word, is good. Go with me to Genesis chapter 1. And we begin right at the beginning. And we find out that sex is not a creation of Hollywood. It's not a creation of the porn industry whereby they can enslave people so they can uh, build up their coffers of profits. Sex is a gift from God given to his people right from the beginning in the context of blessing and flourishing. Genesis chapter 1, we jump in at verse 27. It summarizes, so it says, God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created him. Created them. And God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. So in the context of blessing, as God blesses them, in the context of telling them that he wants them to take dominion over the world that he's created for them to inhabit, God says to them these words, be fruitful and multiply. Can you translate that for me, please? What does that mean? Have sex. That's right. It's there. It's just a different translation. God says to the original couple, I want you to have sex. Multiply. Be fruitful. It's in the context of God's blessing that he gives that to them. We read a little fuller account of the, of the creation account in Genesis chapter 2. And we read in verse 18, God says, It is not good that the man should be alone. I will make a helper fit for him. And so it talks about how he had Adam named all the animals. And, and no doubt as he's looking at the animals, and th- there's a realization that, you know, maybe the animals, they can partner up and whatnot. There's nothing here fit for him. And so God causes him, he, he has a sleep. God takes a rib out of the side of him. He creates woman. And then we have these amazing words in verse 24. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one Flesh, and we know as we, as you, as you read the biblical context, that one flesh is is a physical union, which in, includes sex. Has sex. There's an emotional, physical, uh, social person bonding that takes place between a man and a woman, as God has designed this gift, within the boundaries of one man, one woman committed to one another. This gift has been given to them. And it says, the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. It was beautiful. They would be one flesh. And in that context of that, they would have babies. In in the most pleasurable experience that God has given, there would be this fruit that would come out of that and children would be born. That's one of the beauties of sex. The tragic part, when sex is taken out of its boundaries that God has given and his good way, and it results in the fruit, the, almost the natural fruit of that activity, and a child is conceived instead of being seen as a blessing of God, used, you know, used as part of God's, um, God's fruitfulness in their lives to help spread image bearers into the world. Instead of seeing it as fulfilling God's purposes, that child, when, when it's conceived out of its purpose that God has intended for, out of the commitment of covenant relationship of man and woman, that child now becomes a great inconvenience, or even worse, a tragedy to be discarded. But from the beginning, it was not to be so. From the beginning, 
sex was a gift from God given in the context of blessing for the flourishing of his people to have more image bearers, you know, populate the earth, reflecting back to God, his goodness and his glory, a most beautiful thing. And the man and the woman were naked and unashamed. So good. So beautiful. We have got to see this. So good and so beautiful. Unfortunately, we, we, we read on and it doesn't take long and everything becomes distorted. Genesis chapter 3, the next chapter. Man and woman rebel against God. Most of us here, you, you know this story. We call it the fall to label it with a word we understand. They fell from their relationship with God, their right relationship, their intimacy with God. They rebel against him. Sin is introduced into their relationships and everything they're about. And it affects everything, including how they view sex and how they act it out. And so as you read on in, in Genesis, if you were just to read the book of Genesis and examine the, the sexuality that takes place in that book, you would be horrified. It has, it has gotten so far off what God intended for them. And so we read sexual deviancy. We see uh, multiple wives. We see cults, prostitution. We see gang rape. We see person-to-person -person rape. We see abuse of power. We see framing for accusation of, of sexual rape. We see violence, no doubt, which included sexual violence. As humankind, when they do it their own way, get so far off, the goodness, the blessing, the flourishing that God intended for his people, instead find themselves in a world of destruction. And this continues. It's continuing in the, in, in the, in the map of human history since, since the fall through the Old Testament, as we journey now into the New Testament, I'd like you to take your Bibles and go to 1 Corinthians chapter 6 as we get into the first century of human existence. And, and we look at a church that exists in Corinth, Greece. And Corinth was a city, probably to help us understand what it was like, very much like Las Vegas today. It was known for its sexual immorality. And if you went to Corinth, it was understood that sort of anything goes in Corinth especially sexually. Anything goes. Nothing's taboo. This is Corinth. And in this environment, in this culture, there is a Christ-following community. There is a church in Corinth. And Paul's writing to them, and as he, as he writes his letter, it's very obvious to see that the culture has influenced the church in how it sees sex. And so we understand in 1 Corinthians, as Paul writes to the church, there's an incestuous relationship going on in the church, and nobody's doing anything about it. Oh, they're carrying out their vision statement and their mission statement. They're, you know, they're, they're in it for Jesus, and they've got spiritual gifts operating, but there's, there's sexual stuff in the midst of them that's wrong, and they do nothing about it. And then here in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, um, we're going to pick up at verse 12. We see that there's other, there's other thinkings, fallacies that they think around sex that simply need to be corrected because they've been influenced by their culture, just as I would suspect that we have been influenced by ours. And this morning, we need to align our thinking to God's ways and God's thinking so we can think rightly about sex. Verse 12, 1 Corinthians chapter 6. All things are lawful for me, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be dominated by anything. Food is meant for the stomach and the stomach for food, and God will destroy both one and the other. The body is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord, and the Lord for the body. 
And God raised the Lord and will also raise us up by his power. Now, as you jump into this uh, passage of Scripture in Corinthians, it can be a little bit difficult to understand until you realize what Paul is doing is called a diatribe. That's a fancy word to say. He's, he's, uh, he's doing a makeup conversation. He's making up a conversation between the Corinthian church and himself. In other words, the Corinthian church is saying one thing, and then he's going to reply to them. So verse 12, all things are lawful for me. This is the Corinthian church speaking. You've said, all things are lawful for me. All things are permissible for me. Paul's reply to them in that is, but not all things are helpful. So something can be permissible in culture. It's not against the law. You're not going to get thrown in jail for it. But it's not necessarily good for you. And so it is with sex. So you can be a, a high school student and, you know, you hate that your parents make you be home and in bed by 10 o'clock in the evening. You can't wait till you get out of the home. And so that day comes, you get out of the home, you're a young adult, you're sharing a flat with some of your buddies, and you can stay up as long as you want now. It feels so good. Freedom! So you stay up till 3 a.m. gaming, and it's, yeah, I can do it. And you can do it again the next night. Stay up, 3 a.m. gaming. But after a while, you realize, you know, this freedom that I'm exercising isn't all that helpful. It's affecting me in my job and certainly my studies at university. Something may be permissible, but not necessarily helpful. Paul goes on. All things are lawful, he says, but I will not be dominated by anything. This morning, maybe uh, you know somebody or maybe you are that person and you... You have seen or experienced the addictive power of sex. That sex can be something, especially nowadays, cyber porn. I mean, you can access it anonymously, anytime, so easily. And uh, in the beginning, you think you're in control of it, but in the end, it controls you. And it reduces a person to to a piece of bread where they have no strength. They they just have to, have to, have to do it. Sex is like fire. My dad used to say to me, son, uh, play with fire, you'll get burnt. And sex is like that fire. Uh, Fire can be great. Fire within the boundaries, let's say, of a fireplace, uh, a box um, with a chimney created, and and that fire stays within the confines that it was designed to work within. It it can provide warmth and beauty. Looking at it, that's, that's a wonderful thing. But fire left uncontained, just ask my Australian friends. It can be so damaging, and so it is with sex. We think, oh, I'll just start in that, and we think we're going to master it, and it stimulates us a little bit, and we get involved, but after a while, you're no longer the master. It's mastering you. And people make sacrifices they never thought they would have ever made. They'll sacrifice their work. They'll sacrifice their spouse. They'll sacrifice their families. They'll even sacrifice their legacies because they just have to have it. And it takes places, people places they I'm sure never thought they would have gone to. And so instead of living a life of flourishing, which God intends for us, they end up living a life that in the end has a wake of destruction behind them. It's very clearly to see. We see it all the time in in the news. So Harvey Weinstein's not going to be remembered for movies like Pulp Fiction, highly acclaimed, or King's Speech, or The Lion. He's going to be remembered for what? 
the horrific abuse of his power in, in sexually violating women. And tragically, more recently, the Canadian John Vanier is not going to be remembered for the, the beautiful homes that he set up with the, the communities called Larch for disabled people to live in community, in, in beautiful communities, worldwide, internationally known, internationally respected. John Vanier, who started this, the founder, is not going to be remembered for that now. He's going to be remembered for sexually abusing, for, for taking advantage of, of vulnerable women and using his power to manipulate them sexually. I'm sure he never thought he would have got there. But sex is a powerful, powerful, addictive, destructive fire when it gets outside of the boundaries for which God has put it in. Paul says, it may be permissible, but I will not be dominated by anything. I will not become its slave. We read on, verse 13, food is meant for the stomach and the stomach for food. And God will destroy both one and the other. So the, the idea behind the Corinthians was, well, just like, like when you're hungry, you need to fulfill that desire so your stomach doesn't feel hungry anymore. So the desire that may prop up in my body and my being for sex, that just needs to be fulfilled. I mean, it's just a natural thing, right? Paul says, no, it's not. You're, so you've got your thinking all wrong here, he says. The body is not meant for sexual immorality. The body actually has a greater purpose than sex. The body is meant for the Lord. And then he goes on to say something. He says, and God raised the Lord and will also raise us up by his power. You see, many of the Greeks and Romans, didn't, they believed in an afterlife, but they didn't believe that the body made it to the afterlife. The body wasn't necessarily esteemed all that much. And Paul's bringing them into the, you need to remember the God story that we're a part of. And that is that, that as people who are placed into Christ by faith, as we, as we um, accept Jesus as our Lord and Savior and we placed into a relationship with him, that his future becomes ours. And so just as Jesus Christ the Lord was raised bodily from the dead... So your body, too, will one day be raised. Your body is not for fulfillment sexually just in the here and now. It has a much greater purpose. And the resurrection will show that come to pass. Verse 15 on, you know, if, if Paul was to continue a diatribe, and he doesn't, he just starts to tell us things that we need to know. Three times he says, do you not know? Do you not know? Like Paul knows that our thinking needs to be conformed, not to our culture, but, but to God's ways because they're going to be good for us. They'll cause us to flourish. Don't you know? Don't you know? Don't you know? Get your thinking right. But instead of doing a diatribe, he just starts to dive into them. But if there was a diatribe, if there was a, a fictitious conversation, it might go something like this. This is what Corinth, and I would say our culture today, would be saying. First of all, Sex, if I could get it on the screen. Sex is private. It's private. It's just between you and another person. Sex is just the body. Like, that's all that's going on. Just body pleasure. And so, uh, hookup culture, friends with benefits. Like, it's all okay. Because it's just the body. In fact, that leads to the idea that sex is no big deal. This is what we're being taught. It's what Corinth was being taught, the culture of their day. 
Paul's going Paul's to um, speak against that. First of all, sex is private. No, he says sex affects the community. Sex isn't just the body. Sex involves the whole person. Sex is no big deal. Paul says no. Sex is sacred with eternal ramifications. So let's look at him, unpack that. Starting in verse 15, he says this. Sex affects the community because your body is a member of the body of Christ. Do you not know, like know this, that your bodies are members of Christ? Shall I then take the members of Christ and make them a member of a prostitute? At the end of December, I needed to buy a pack to do some of my traveling into Europe. And so the best pack that I found was at a co-op. Uh, recreation co-op and so in order to purchase the pack I had to be part of I had to be a member of the co-op and it was so difficult give them five bucks my phone number and email address I'm a member amazing and I can quit anytime I want and when we think of being a member sometimes maybe when we think of being a member of the body of the Christ maybe we take that kind of understanding into it but we need to understand when we become a member of the body of Christ it radically like our whole being our whole relationships is radically altered because of that we've been united with Jesus and the result of that union that uniting with Jesus we're also united to one another because we've become members of his body we've become participants collectively together of his body. What that means is what I do with my body somehow affects you. And what you do with yours somehow affects me. We are not islands unto ourselves, just me and Jesus. We are part of the body of Christ collectively together. So Paul asks this question, so then shall I take the rest of you and make you members of a prostitute if he was to, if he was to engage in sexual activity with a prostitute? And this leads us to the second thing. Sex is not just the body. Sex is the whole person. He says, Or do you not know that he who is joined to a prostitute becomes one body with her? For as it is written, the two will become one flesh. Where have we seen that before? The two will become one flesh. Paul goes all the way back from here he is, first century A.D. in Corinth, and he goes all the way back, centuries, centuries, centuries. To the very beginning. You know, if you if you espouse biblical Christian values around sexuality, you're probably not surprised if somebody says to you, oh, that's so old school. That's so outdated. People don't live that way anymore. Like get with get with the program. Get with the now. But see, God's truth is eternal. And what was true in the beginning continues to remain true. And when we line up with his word, we find ourselves in places of flourishing. When we don't, we find ourselves in places of destruction. In the beginning, it was this way, and it continues to be that way. And in fact, we understand more than ever today with science that what Paul has written here and what was written in in Genesis is, is so true, it's so scientifically true, it's unbelievable. The two will become one flesh. When people engage in sexual intimacy, what they do with their body affects the whole person. We now know that when people have and engage in sex, that dopamine is released in their body. Dopamine is a drug that uh, makes you feel good. So you have these ecstatic feelings and it makes you want to have more sex. But we also know there's other drugs that are released. There's a drug called oxytocin is released in the woman. 
And so that's the same chemical that's released in her body when she's breastfeeding her baby. And it, it creates a bonding within her to her child. Well, this same chemical is released in her as she's having sex with the man, caught, wanting there to be a bonding. The chemical vasopressin is, is released in the man, wanting there to be a bonding. Gordon Neufeld, who um, has written on this subject before, talks about this. He says, simply put, sex creates a potent connection and then harnesses the rest of the brain through chemicals the brain releases to preserve the bond that has been created. Sex creates couples. Ready or not, willing or not, sex is like human contact cement invoking a sense of union and fusion creating one flesh. The two shall become one flesh refers to our personhood. There is a bonding, a biological, social, emotional bonding that occurs in the activity of having sex with another person. Now, think about this. In its right context of a man and a woman who have stood before people and confessed their commitment to one another in covenant relationship, this this. Uh, this coming together, this contact cement is absolutely perfect and beautiful and amazing because when they've said, I do, I'm for you for the rest of my life and the other person says, I do, I'm with you always for the rest of my life and then when they engage in sex, the, the chemicals in their body are going yes to that affirmation. Yes, yes, yes. One, one flesh. It's perfect. It's what God created. It's beautiful. No shame, no regret. Oneness, beautiful oneness. Now take it outside the boundaries that God has given, and here's what happens. With multiple partners, it becomes completely confusing because your body doesn't know what's going on. I thought I was to be one with that person, but now it's this person, or now it's that person. It's very confusing. Scott McKnight writes about this in his book, One Life. He talks about how as a professor, he's had so many conversations with young adults and, you know, after class and whatnot. And um, for some people, yeah, their, their sexual activity, they would say they feel emotionally healthy and good. But he says more than, far more than, than the, the half is that people use words like abused or regret or manipulation or guilt or duped, empty alone it's not what God intended it's not what God wants sex is a gift sex is a gift to make a relationship between one man and one woman so beautiful reinforced pointing towards the intimacy and love that Jesus has for his church God didn't want all this destruction Paul says you need to know that it's more than just the body. It's the whole person. God created that way, designed it that way for flourishing, for commitment, for oneness, for covenant, for love. Skip down to verse 19. One more thing Paul wants to address. No big deal? Really? Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you? whom you have from God. You are not your own, for you were bought with a price. Many of the stories that I've read or had conversation 
uh, with people so often at the root of, you know, um, let's say uh, much sexual activity, different partners, different people, long history. When you get down into the root, you know, the, the, the reason for that is not bad. So often it's a search for, for intimacy, for worth, for value, a search to be loved and to find that person that I can really have that intimacy and, and love with at unfulfilled. And see, what, what we need to realize as, as a follower of Jesus Christ and what we have as because of our relationship with him is that we are so incredibly loved. We are so incredibly valued that we are actually bought. We, somebody paid a bit of a price for us. And this is to remind ourselves again of the gospel story and who God has made us to be and, and what our identity is. That we don't have to find affirmation from other people or find affirmation in sexual activity. As Christ followers and in Jesus, we have an identity. We have been loved so completely and are loved. So much so that the Father, eternal God, sent his Son, Jesus Christ, to come and live on earth to subject himself to all kinds of humiliation and unjust treatment, ultimately, that took him to the cross. And there on the cross that he died for us in our place, our sins. But because death could not hold him, he had committed no sin personally. He rose from the dead and he rises to victory, not just for himself, but for us, for our victory, that whoever places their trust in him can be forgiven of all the crud of the past and now walk as, as redeemed, restored image bearers. What God's intentional purpose for, for humankind was in the beginning. That we could again be image bearers of God. Temples of the Holy Spirit. Places where heaven meets earth. That's what your body is. That's what it's purpose for. So superior to sex. You were designed to be the place of intimacy with God. The very dwelling place of his Holy Spirit. And God paid a price in order for that to happen. So Paul says, glorify God in your body. As we think about how we would respond to to these amazing truths that Paul has told us about, I'd begin by saying, first of all, this. As Paul said, don't you know, don't you know, don't you know, we need to align our thinking with God's in the area of sexuality. And it's not going to take uh, one Sunday message that you're going to hear every three years. I think the last time we did a series, Money, Sex, and Politics, was like three, four years ago. It's not going to do it. You've got to immerse yourself as an individual with other people in the story of God and see what God says about sex and sexuality and then decide, do I believe this? What are my convictions around this? Do I really believe it? You see, you've you've got to establish what your convictions are because 
Because you are going to enter, as we all will, you're going to enter places of temptation. You're going to enter places where you're going to be drawn to, you know, compromise just a little bit. And you wonder why you hear about friends of yours and all of a sudden they're in a relationship that's horrific for them. And you go, how did that happen? You were a Christ follower. You professed Jesus. How did you get to that place? Because we're all tempted. We all will be. And we need to make sure that our thinking aligns with God's thinking. So whether you're here this morning and you thought sex was dirty or at the other end of the spectrum, you thought, well, it doesn't really matter, does it? I mean, God's gracious, loves me anyways. Yes, he does. He loves you completely, but it's damaging to you and those around you. So we need to set our thinking, not in times of temptation, not in the storm. We need to set our thinking in places of calm and peace and quiet. When, you, when, you, when you've got your mind and your wits about you, you see, when, when you're in a place of temptation and, oh, man, short skirt and isn't she beautiful or, wow, look at that guy's six-pack and you're starting and the chemicals are starting to go in your body. That is not the time to consider what are my convictions. The time is when you're... You're at home, you're, you're in a place of peace, and you're not being tempted. We need to get our thinking right. Secondly, the Bible has some really practical uh, advice that comes right out of this text. You can see it in verse 18, and you'll read it other places in the New Testament. Flee from sexual immorality. Just flee it. Don't think that you can play with fire and not get burned, as my dad would say. Just flee it. If you can sense you're in a place where, oh, I can, you know, I can feel stuff's happening within me. I can feel I'm going to be tempted. Oh, this doesn't feel good. This doesn't feel right. Get out of there. Get out of there. That's what the scripture says. Don't think that you can handle it on your own strength. That's just not God's, God's very practical advice to you in the places where you can. Get out of there. Flee immorality. Flee it. Thirdly, we need to direct our appetites to the glory of God. Paul says at the end of this passage here, so glorify God in your body. So let me speak to the married couples first here this morning. Um, Glorifying God with your body as a married couple. It's really interesting. You know, the Bible doesn't have, in the original language that it's written, it doesn't have chapters and verses. So right after we've read this part here, Paul begins to talk to married couples about uh, having sex on a regular basis. He says, don't defraud one another, except maybe if you're going to give yourselves to a time of prayer and seeking God. Other than that, he says, come back together. So you came to church this morning and you're married and you're hearing from the word of God, you need to have sex on a regular basis. Can I hear a wahoo? You got told that in church. God commanded Adam and Eve, be fruitful and multiply. Paul says, don't defraud one another. See, we we need to understand the power of the sexual act is so powerful. And I'm not saying, you know, that you're you're not, you know, uh, husbands, don't go home and go, oh, you know, like, uh, you know, like, you know what Pastor Tim said, so glad he's back, you know, come on, baby, let's, you know, um, don't worry about lunch. Um, See, it's the whole person, right? So, I don't want to say too much, I'll get in trouble, but great sex involves great relationship, conversation, authenticity, truly loving one another, just not trying to fulfill your sexual needs. 
but it's God's advice to us because it's so powerful, it's so bonding that you have sex on a regular basis as a man and woman committed to one another in covenant because what that does is it reaffirms your covenant that you are one before God and it reflects the love that Jesus Christ has for his church. It's so much more than just a physical activity. I also want to say to those of you who are married and have kids, be involved in your kids' lives and have conversations around sex. Because if you're not involved talking to them, educating them, having open conversations, you know for sure they are, they are being talked about things way too early in their life and having to deal with it. They need, and they may think it's dirty, right? They may think it's dirty. So you need to come into that conversation and help them see from God's perspective how beautiful and right and holy it is in the right boundaries. I really encourage you in that way. And now let me speak to singles. I would surmise on an average gathering that uh, probably around 50% or more in this room are singles. And I am now one of them. I want you to hear, sex is a great gift from God. It's beautiful, it's pleasurable, it's wonderful, and in the right place, it carries no baggage. But it is not the ultimate gift. It is not the gift above all other gifts. You do not have to be married and have sex in order to have a fulfilled life. Seems to me Jesus wasn't and didn't. Mark Gunger, who speaks to uh, married couples, says, you know, and he's a humorist, he says, you know, we kind of got it all wrong. In the church, we so often go, those of us that are married, you know, good to be married, sad to be you, to the single. But he says, you read on in 1 Corinthians 7, Paul actually goes, good to be single, sad to be you, to those that are married. So let me say, if you're single here um, this this morning and you're you know you're not a middle school high school whatever but you know you're a young adult or even older um, you are not a second-class citizen you are not made whole on the day where you finally find that right person and you and you commit yourselves to marriage there is a, a greater intimacy a greater call that we have in our lives and that's our relationship with God And I believe whether we're married or whether we're single, that one of the greatest ways that we live out what it means to look, what it means to look like under the Lordship of Jesus Christ in this day and age is how we handle our sexuality. For married couples, that means doing it well and enjoying it and guarding yourself in its purity. And for singles, it means to stay pure, to show the world that we don't, you know what, we have a greater Lord. There is something greater than my physical appetites having to be fulfilled. That I can say no to something good because I have something greater in my life. Let me introduce you to him. His name is Jesus Christ. Glorify God with your body, people. And it leads you to a place of flourishing. Lastly, I want to say, because I know this will be true that there'll be some here in this room, even the, the talking about this subject brings up all kinds of regret and shame and sadness about the past. It's interesting, if we just bump up from where we started in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, Paul reminds us of the seriousness of sex, but let me also show you the hope that he brings to us. In verse 9, he says, Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, 
nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers. None of those will inherit the kingdom of God. But listen to what he says next. And such were some of you. To the Corinthian church, it says, you know, some of you, your, your sexual lives were messed up. There's probably lots of regret. Lots of stuff you wish never happened. It's probably regret, guilt, shame. But listen to this. You need to know this. And it's the same for us here today. If you're in Christ Jesus, you are washed. Let that just wash over you. In Christ Jesus, you are washed. You were sanctified. You were justified, just like it never happened. In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. This is the beautiful part of the good news and the of Jesus Christ. The story from Genesis to Revelation is though, yes, God created something great. We mess it up. But God comes and he redeems and he reestablishes and he can make things better again. And that's true for everyone in this room. What we need to do is simply come to the light. Bring it all to him. Come to him. He won't turn you away. He died for the very reason that he can take your stuff, our stuff, And then lead us into a life that's better, a life that's flourishing when we live it according to his way. I invite you into that this morning. Uh, Wherever your thinking needs to change, whatever your past is about, is just to come to him. We're going to do that in worship now. Afterwards, we're going to have some prayer teams that will be up here. Those prayer teams are for everybody, for any situation. Um, So if somebody comes up, don't think, oh, they've got a sexual problem. No, it's, it's for everybody, everything. But if there is an area where you'd like to come together uh, with other, someone else to pray into that, we invite you to that uh, this morning. Would you pray with me? God, thank you for loving us so deeply, Lord, more than we ever know. Uh, thank you, Lord, for the gifts that you give us, that they're good and that they carry no baggage uh, with them, Lord, when we live in the way you intended. Thank you for the grace of Jesus Christ that redeems us, that gives us identity, that frees us. Thank you for your love. In Christ's name I pray, amen.